Awesome. Man, what a day. What an amazing day to be in the house, whether you're in the house or online. I want to ask you to go back with me in your memory banks. Way, way back. When the whole coronavirus thing first started about seven years ago, and thank you very much, Steve, I appreciate that. He didn't even know I was gonna, that's beautiful. But at the very beginning, I told you as your pastor that there were obviously a lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty, but I was strangely excited about the opportunity that this season gives us to reimagine, to to chart some new courses and, and move in some new directions as a church, as followers of Christ. And those things are still very much being worked out. But today is, is just one example. I believe that we will all, as a church family, look back at July 26th, 2020, as an inflection point, as a moment in the life of our church. Levi Lusco is a pastor, best-selling author, conference speaker, and he and his wife, Jenny, are two of the most gifted, called people I have ever known, that Julie and I have ever had the opportunity to know and to be around. The most genuine, humble people. Now, when you're that gifted and that young, you probably think, man, I'm gonna go start a church in LA. I'm gonna go start a church in, in New York. I'm gonna go start a church in somewhere where, where there's so many people. God called them and they responded to plant a church, I'm not making this up, in Whitefish, Montana. For those of you scoring at home, Whitefish is smaller than LA. But God has used them so powerfully. Their church now blankets four different states, Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, Utah. Levi speaks around the world and is on the docket to be here in Austin at Lake Hills Church sometime. But in the meantime, I just felt like our church needs what God is speaking through Levi, spoken into the life of our church to make it a part of who we are. And so today I am so excited, so grateful that Levi has preached a message just for us. Now, I've already seen it. This thing, as the kids would say, this thing is straight fire. It's, it's great. But I'm more grateful for Levi and Jenny and their friendship cannot wait for them to be a part of the Lake Hills Church family in person. I can't wait for so many of you online to be a part of the Lake Hills Church family in person. I think online ought to give it up for everybody who's in the house and in the house ought to give it up for everybody who's online this morning. Man. But I want to ask everybody, whether you're at home in a coffee shop or in the house, would you please stand to your feet and give a crazy Lake Hills Church, thank you to Pastor Levi. Let's go! Thank you so much, Pastor Mac. It is such an incredible privilege to get to be a part of uh, your lives this summer. As we end July, moving towards August, just uh, this crazy year we've had, 2020, 
um, that, that I would have the privilege and honor now of getting to speak into the life of Lake Hills Church. Uh, Jenny and I count your pastors as just absolute heroes, not just because of the track record of faithfulness in marriage now for two decades uh, and all that God has done through the church in Austin, but also ministries that supersede even just the local context, which is what they pour their heart into every single week, you guys, but spur leadership and, and fearless moms, just incredible. I know in our home, it is an example for us. It is for us without a doubt, um, a target for, that we wanna trace as we look forward in our ministry and life, wanting to do that long obedience in the same direction thing uh, that is so important and key. I will also say that, um, that uh, Julie Richard's voice is just prophetic and, uh, and speaks so loud. And it's a, it's, it's a strong call uh, to so many that the, the spirit has raised her up for such a time as this in a unique way. And I'll say this about Pastor Mac's voice. He has one of the most unbelievable voices I've ever heard. Now, I'm not just talking about like in the supernatural sense. I'm just talking about like regular old, what a great voice he has. Listening to him, it's just, I just think to myself, oh my gosh, that voice is really, really amazing. If the ministry thing didn't work out, there could have been FM, radio, late night. This is Mac Ruchiard. Even it's a smooth, uh, anyhow, just throwing that out there but I'm grateful that God uh, caused our paths to cross a number of years back. And as we just track with the ministry, I know we're inspired here at Fresh Life by what God's doing through you guys. And on a personal note, I just wanna say how much I love Austin, Texas. I know that, that the church online family and reach has gotten so much bigger than just Austin and Texas, and really it's, it's worldwide. Uh, but I know it all broadcasts from, and that's the mothership there. The, the heart of the beast is Austin. And what an incredible city. Uh, we love it and we love what God's doing. And we just believe that God has enormous things on the horizon for you guys continuing through this summer and, and on into the, the years to come. So it's a privilege to get to open up God's word. And if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter four is where we're gonna be based out of today for this message. Uh, I wanna talk to you about how to see life through the eyes of a lion. And that is a metaphor uh, for looking at life using a telescope called faith, using something that the Bible presents again and again and again, faith uh, as the basis by which we can see our life, see our dis disappointments, see the challenges and struggles and tribulations and even the, the pleasures we face, but to see them through the right lens. Um, this came to us, this metaphor came to us through painful circumstances and, and difficult times. Uh, a little bit about our family, my wife, Jenny, and I, we lead a church, like I said, called Fresh Life Church. And we have altogether five children. Our oldest is Olivia, who's 14. Our youngest is Lennox, who's two and a half, well, three, three, just three years old now. Um, and then in between, we have Clover, we have Daisy, two little beautiful girls. We call them thing one and thing two. And then Linya is our second born daughter who went home to heaven at the age of five after an asthma attack just a few days before Christmas in 2012. And, and Linya um, and her homegoing uh, was, was the occasion by which God really began forcefully and, and, um, and powerfully to help us to see that there is a choice for the believer to see things differently than just what's right smack dab in front of you. And that's exactly 
what Paul presents in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says in verse 16, I think if you don't have your own Bible, uh, you can see this on the screen, but it says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And thank you, Jesus, for just even just that moment right there. I believe this whole worship experience would have been worthwhile, just even for the reading of your word. Thank you that your word is, is nothing like a great novel or an article in the newspaper or even a stirring poem that we can be inspired by or be frightened because of or be captivated by. Your words are life that we can grow thereby. In your word, we find light so we can see. We find a lamp for the dark corridors of this world. We find illumination for the frustration and suffering we inevitably face. Thank you for every single person who's listening to the sound of my voice right now and that you have plans for each of them. And those plans are going to wind and, and weave their way through hard days. We've certainly seen our fair share of them thus far in this year and certainly more is to come. We thank you that we have the confidence that Jesus gives us when he tells us that in the tribulation we face, we can take heart because he has overcome the world. And I pray in these moments as we consider what it means to look at life through the eyes of a lion, through the telescope of faith, that we would have something ignited in us that would help us to see we have permission to see things differently than just what's happening in front of us. And I pray that if even one person doesn't know you as we uh, take this time together, that you would draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The reason I say telescope of faith is like the eyes of a lion and equate those two things together is because lions are just incredible at seeing. Here's a picture of a lion you can see on the screen. Uh, there are so many things. I mean, it's worthwhile just to look at a lion any day because it's just like amazing, right? Uh, but what I love in particular, and I could draw your attention to multiple things. I wrote a whole book about this, okay? I'm kind of obsessed with lions. Uh, and my wife's new book's about leopards. So we kind of have the big cat thing going on in our family. But if you could see under the lion's eyes, they have a, a white stripe. And that white stripe is not just beautiful, it's highly functional. You see, it functions in the exact opposite way that a football player would apply eye black under each eye. A football player or a soccer player would, would do that to minimize glare, to keep light from coming into the eyes. Lions who hunt primarily at night have this eye white under their eye to maximize the glare so that as much uh, light as possible would hit the darkest part of the pupil and enter into uh, this corridor that allows light to hit the optic nerve at the back of the eye as it passes through the cornea, as it goes through the lens, and, and then it beams uh, through the rods and cones and all the amazing apparatus that God has built into the eye. Uh, 
uh, basically allows their eyes to function kind of like night vision goggles. Lions are incredible at seeing. They say that a lion can see six times better than a human, which is pretty amazing because you or I might go, who is that over there? I can't tell. Is that Bill? Is that Fred? Is that, is that Sally? And the lion would go, no, that's lunch. I know exactly what that is. I can see it perfectly. That's lunch right there. These are the jokes, people. It goes better if you laugh. Um, but basically, uh, that's what Paul presents to us because lions don't have flashlights mounted to their heads. Lions don't have, you know, basically uh, a flashlight they would hold in their, in their paws. Lions see better because they do a better job of stewarding the light that's there. And that is what Paul says to us that we are allowed to do. Paul says that we don't have more light per se than anyone else, but Paul says that God can do something inside of us through a lens that gets installed that would allow us to let all the available light in that's there hiding just in plain sight. And that is important, that that is imperative. Otherwise we will lose heart. As Jesus said, in this tribulation we face, we must choose to take heart. That's an intentional choice. That's something that we must actively be doing. If you're not taking heart, you'll be losing heart. It's like if you're out paddleboarding in a lake or a river, if you're not constantly dipping that oar into the water, you will drift inevitably. You have to actively keep yourself where you want to be. You can't just sit there and expect to not be moved. So it is following Jesus. If we're not actively paddling, if we're not actively taking heart, if we're not choosing to in real time snap that lens into place, we will be deceived by what we see. I mean, even just on a physical level, even just on a, on a normal level, when it comes to what we see every single day, we can't trust our eyesight. I mean, think about as a small example, but a tangible one, uh, FedEx, the company that allows us to overnight packages anywhere we need to. Now, I love stories of leadership. I love the inspiring you know, spirit of the entrepreneur and the David against Goliath dream of something as crazy as an, and as impossible as overnighting a package from one city to anywhere else in the world uh, and, and what it takes to make that happen. And you can look into the story of FedEx and how Fred Smith and his, his dedicated team that he started with were pawning their watches and taking out second mortgages on their house to, to make this dream a reality that, by the way, he got... Uh, a very low grade on when he presented it as his thesis in his getting his MBA. Uh, but basically when the company first began, it was called Federal Express. And some of you might remember when that was the logo, cursive, purple, written out on the side of the vans. But customers who took to the idea of sending these packages so rapidly began using FedEx as a verb. And they shortened it and said, I'm gonna FedEx that to you. And they turned Federal Express into uh, a word that entered into common you know, parlance. You would say, I'm gonna FedEx it to you, even if you were gonna UPS it or send it by the postal service, if you have three or four weeks for the package to ultimately eventually maybe get there. Okay, sorry guys. Um, but basically, uh, when they changed the name to FedEx to accommodate the fact that customers were using it in such a short way, which by the way, don't ever let anyone tell you how you speak isn't important. And I think we're learning that in, in these days of racial reconciliation as God is breathing something new into the church, breathing something new into the air. And my, my heart is so invigorated with the promise and potential of the chance for God having gotten our attention, perhaps through COVID and the, 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 the hard reset that was put onto our schedules and lives, 
and then the opportunity for him to stir up something new and stir up something really within the heart of his church and, and to see walls broken down and to see our hearts open up to see, man, I didn't, I didn't notice what was there in front of me. So how we speak is incredibly important and how people were speaking about the name Federal Express or FedEx actually changed the name of the whole company. But they needed a new logo. And of course, as we all know, this is what they came up with that you can see on the screen. This is the FedEx logo. You've seen it a million times. Now, we could take that away. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. It was one of 200 designs that a design firm came up with for the rebrand. And out of those 200, the best five were brought to Memphis, Tennessee and presented to Fred Smith, the founder and his executive team as they were gonna deliberate over what was to be the new logo. Five logos, including the one you just saw, were put on the wall uh, as the options. Now, Fred, as the story goes, got up out of his seat and pointed to this one, the one that you just saw right there. Put it back up real quick. And he walked up to it and said, that's the one, that's the new logo. And his team was mystified. Like, why that one out of any of the others? And he said, I love the arrow. I love the one with the arrow in it. That's our new logo. And when they were still not clicking along, he proceeded to point to the space, the white space in between the capital E and the lowercase x. And he said, that is our new logo. I love the fact that it has this arrow pointing, pointing towards, pointing future, pointing forward. Now, no judgment at all. Raise your hand up if you have never seen that arrow before in your life, never noticed it in your entire life, right? Yeah, come on, raise your hand, play along. Even if you're watching at home, raise, raise up your hand, raise up your hand, raise up your hand. Okay, now raise your hand if you still can't see it and maybe someone in the house can help you understand where the arrow is. Okay, I've done that, by the way, all over the country, including in Memphis, and I've never seen more than 50% of people uh, raise, not, not raise their hands up. Almost everybody uh, in a room, one out of two of them, there's someone there that, that hasn't seen that, that before. So, so no judgments. You, you can put your hands down. Let me say this to you. That arrow has been inside of that logo since 1994, which means that just about every time you have ever noticed that logo going by on a van, going by on a plane, going in front of you in your own hands with a with package, for those of you who did not notice that arrow before, it's been there in front of you countless times, thousands of times, millions of times. You just never noticed it before. What was it doing? It was hiding in plain sight. Pastor Eugene Peterson once said that reality is mostly made up of things we cannot see. And that is precisely what Paul is saying here in this text. He's saying you will always get disheartened. You will always get stuck. You will always get frustrated if you only look at what's there in front of you, visible to the naked eye. With the eye of faith, with the eyes of a lion, you must choose to not rely on the naked eye. That's the first takeaway truth. Jot those down as they come because these things I really believe have the capacity to change your life. And again, like I said, these were not forged in the ivory tower of conjecture was like, well, I wonder what could really help out people who are hurting. I'm telling you these things as God gave them to us and spoke them to us. And as we realized they were there in the word the whole time hiding in plain sight, even to us, it took the trial, it took the suffering for us to be desperate enough, to hurt enough, to, to look to see these things, to listen to the spirit. That is what the Bible says is the blessing of the brokenhearted. They get to see God. It's in those moments where, where God is all you have left that you realize he really is all that you need. 
And that I believe is the peace that passes understanding. You know, having had to bury a child, Jenny and I have both had our fair share of people tell us, uh, I don't know how you got through that. I don't know how you could face that. I don't, I don't know how you could keep on serving God. I don't know how you could even continue to be married. The statistics on, you know, parents that, that lose a, a child, the, the divorce rates, it's, I don't, I don't know how you've done it. You know, here's the thing I, I say to people again and again and again, the peace that passes understanding, I believe bypasses your brain and goes straight to your soul if you let it, if you choose to do what Paul does here, and that is reframing, reframing, faith-filled reframing, where you don't rely on the naked eye. Because look, I understand there's a grave that has the body of my little girl. I get that. I'm not pretending it's not true. I'm not living in a little naive wonderland. It's like, oh, it's Candyland. It's always wonderful. I understand there are hard things. There are brutal things. There are, there, are, there are just plain ugly things that we face in this world. And Paul said, look, I know there are troubles. I'm just choosing to declare those troubles as small and not lasting very long. Now, he wasn't talking about getting a parking ticket, right? This is a guy beaten with rods, killed one time by being stoned, this is a guy who was shipwrecked and then bit by a snake. I mean, this is, people, but this is someone betrayed. This is someone who, is, who saw the sight of his blood splash down to the ground many, many different times and who would eventually lose his life by being decapitated. And yet he's saying about his trials, small and won't last very long. What is he doing? He's not relying on the naked eye. He's pulling in that, snapping into place the lens of faith. He's putting that eye white under his eyes to, to maximize the light coming inside. He's, he's had his spiritual pupils dilated to let even more light in. He's got that spirit of wisdom and revelation. He understands the hope of his calling. What is the riches of the greatness of his power towards those who believe? And what is the inheritance of the saints in the light? He's not looking at the 70 years or the not 100 years or, or the, even the 20 years that you may get, or my daughter's case, five years you get on this earth. He's looking at life as all of eternity. He's looking at life of, in terms of the, the, the wide expanses, including heavens and then the new heavens and new earth. He's looking at life in God's kingdom as his forever. And then he's measuring that against the blip that is a pain-filled life here on this earth. He's, and he's saying, hey, look, I get it. That's horrible. But when I zoom out, when I see the bigger picture, what is that to really be uh, focused on and, and worried about and concerned about? And this cognitive reframing, this faith-filled uh, reimagining of what the, the, the real reality is, is something that you and I can do every single day, even when we look in the mirror in the morning, because that's how Paul begins. He goes, I know our bodies are dying. So that's you and I standing in front of the mirror and going, dang, let them crow's feet. Let those crows walk around my face, the footprints next to my eyes. And we go, man, it's harder to stay in shape as, as I get older. Dang, Right? We go, oh my gosh, I've got more aches and pains and I got something weird, my rib cage. Like, what did I sleep on a rock? Like, I don't, I don't get it. No, it was Casper mattress. It should, I'm past the 100 nights free though. I can't send it back. Well, what the heck? It's, my body's breaking down. So I'm a 38 year old person and I'm past my prime, biologically speaking. I'm producing less cells that are being consumed and, 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 and I'm not building up anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking down. And Paul said, that doesn't distress me because I don't just look at what the naked eye can see. I see what can't be seen, that my spirit is being renewed every day. What is he saying? 
He's saying that if you're a believer in Jesus on the inside, you reverse age like Benjamin freaking Button, y'all, right? That is a dated reference. Some of you are like, I don't have any idea. Google it. It's Brad Pitt who aged backwards. It was amazing. But that's what we're like on the inside. So I'm moving towards death, yes, but I'm moving towards eternal life as I do that. And so that helps me to understand the full reality of my daughter's funeral and to look at it differently. And that allows me to not be shriveled up, popping Xanaxes and and emptying wine bottles just to fall asleep at night. It allows me, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. I've had to get counseling. There's been challenging days. There's anxiety even that still comes in those, those hard moments, those challenging moments. But when I get low, I'm able to find my way to faith because of traction in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has power for you, for me today. And I get to choose to, to see a different story. I don't see you know, rest in peace or final resting place when I think about a graveyard. I see raised in power. I see a temporary arrangement. I believe Jesus Christ is going to raise my daughter her physical body from the grave to reclothe her soul. And I will with her be with Christ in a perfect place forever. So that changes how I look at what has been now 2,775 days from this day, July 26th. That's how many days backwards was the date of her death, which was also the date of her life beginning with Jesus. And 2,775 days is a long time to be putting notches on a on a wall, and I miss her, man, I miss her, man, I miss her. And if that's all I was looking at, 2,075, 2,775 days away from her, it could get discouraging. It's harder to remember the sound of her voice without listening to it on a video. It's, 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 it's now the new normal has so enveloped our family. There, there might be a day that goes by where, where I, I just for, even forget to actually think about her and I'm consciously sad about her. And that's a different sad when it's like sad that I'm not sad. Grief is so weird. Grief is so strange in that way. And yet, Paul says, we move towards a glory that vastly outweighs the trials and that glory lasts forever. And for me, that glory, as I look forward to it, involves being reunited and being with her and never saying goodbye again, never seeing tears streak faces again, never hearing horrible things like, oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And, and guess what the new crisis and trial is? And oh, the hurricane season's coming. People will die in this outbreak and this. And it's, oh my gosh. But as I look forward to that, it reframes this. Now I'm not so far away from her. Why? Because every day as I wake up, it's a day closer to her. So today I'm 2,775 days closer to my little girl because I'm moving in the right direction and there's more of her in front of me than behind me. So I don't need to cling to all those five years I got. That's all I got. Are you you kidding me? That trial is small and won't last very long compared to all that's coming. This perspective, this snapping this lens into place will turn these, these, these big mountains of trials into small potatoes, still real, still hard, still challenging, but definitely doable because of the power of perspective. What lens do you use when you look at difficult things? You need to snap into place the lens of faith. 
Don't stare at just Instagram followers and dollars and cents and, and whether you had the Louis Vuitton handbag from this season. Like, no, no, listen, th that's all fine and it is what it is and to be used and stewarded and, and, and all the rest. But at the end of the day, what we can see now will soon be gone, but what we cannot see will last forever. So don't rely on the naked eye. Then secondly, jot this down, train for the trial you're not yet in. You've got to train. If you're not going to be destroyed by trials, you have to train for the ones you don't even know are coming. If we could go back to 2018 or 2019 and think about our five-year plans that we were making at that point, or two-year plans, or plans for our, our next year plan <laughs> at the end of 2019, how different we thought 2020 was going to go. None of us saw this coming. None of us knew this was going to be what this year was going to be like. Well, let me just say this to you. What is next year going to be like? What is five years from now going to be like? I don't know, except to know that God is a gone before you, and God who is outside of time sees what he's preparing you for, but he also wants you to understand that today is your only day to train for those trials. My perspective on marriages that dissolve in, in grief is that in many cases, though not all, it wasn't the grief that destroyed the marriage. Catastrophic suffering, I believe, will make a weak marriage weaker and a strong marriage stronger. And what we've seen in, in COVID, what we've seen in the, the, all this tension, it, I believe, is a pressure cooker that allows and reveals what's going on on the inside. What does that mean to you and to me? It means today is the only day we get to prepare for the trials that are around the river bend that we don't understand. So we must not waste good times. We must not waste any time, any opportunity we have to soak God's words up, to be involved in the life of the church, to be generous and give, thus connect your heart in a greater way to heaven to be doing all those things and putting in those infrastructures and systems by which we can have strong faith in a day of trouble. For as Proverbs puts it, when the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. You're in training now for a trial that you don't even understand fully that is coming. And if you'll do today what others won't, you'll be able to do tomorrow what others can't. And in those days, I speak over you that when the wind comes and the, the rain's driving hard, that it'll beat against that house. But because of that rock under your feet of Jesus Christ and his church and the strength of his spirit inside of you, you will, uh, you will not be broken. You will not be shaken. You'll actually thrive in the midst of difficulty. One last takeaway truth. Please jot this down. I'm almost done. The plane is circling and we're about to land. I wanna speak over you that you can let God use your pain if you're willing to. I know it's gonna sound insensitive, but please hear my heart. This is coming from a place of experience. It is actually an honor. You got that right, an honor to be trusted with pain. And I know if you've had to bury a loved one recently, if you've lost a job, if you've lost your savings, if you have had everything taken from you, it can be really insulting to hear that. But let's remember that God is sovereign and has to approve any difficulty that comes our way. Let's remember that he had to say yes to Job's pain, to Joseph's abandonment and betrayal and suffering. He had to say yes even to the crucifixion of his own son Jesus. And in every occasion and circumstance where he allows such a thing to come, there's always in the back of his heart, the back of his mind, a way that he's going to use that difficulty to bring about 
great blessing and great prosperity and great salvation, not just for the person involved, but also for many. Joseph coming out with power, Job coming out twice as blessed, Jesus coming out of the grave and bringing many sons to glory. And so in your pain and in mine, God always has something in mind he wants to do through it. For example, our little girl, Linya, and here's a photo of her. Her nickname was Linya Lion, because Linya means lion. And when she went to heaven, we were able to say yes to a request for cornea transplant organ donation. And her two little corneas, the lenses on her eyes, went to two blind people who both received sight. And they today see life through the eyes of our Linya Lion. And that's one small way that we've just watched God bring life out of death, beauty out of ashes. We've seen him bring something glorious and magnificent out of desolation and death. Our God is simply put too uh, practical and pragmatic to ever allow anything to be wasted. And he refuses to waste your pain. He keeps track of the tears that you shed in a bottle. And he, I believe, wants to see a day where every single one of those tears is planted as a seed to bring forth an abundant harvest of righteousness. So what should your perspective be? I believe it should be to not spend all your energy on why God, why, but instead what God, what? What do you want to show me? What are you seeking to do in me? And what are you positioning me uh, to be ready so you can bring something out of me. I believe that God has sent you into your trial, sent you into your, into your suffering um, for a purpose. And he's, whatever was involved, the people who betrayed you, hurt you, took your, 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 your something from you, a sexual assault perhaps, whatever it was you faced, that doesn't relieve the responsibility of those who did evil. But God in his wonderful sovereignty sees good he wants to bring out of it. So if you'll say, God, use me, here I am, here, am I, here I am in my pain. And even now, maybe we could be praying, heads bowed and eyes closed. I pray for those who are hurting right now, but want to have their eyes dilated spiritually, want to have this, this lens of faith snap into place to view trials differently. If that's you I'm describing and you, you've been in pain, but you want God to touch you with his Holy Spirit, even now raise your hand up, praise God. He sees you, he sees you, he sees the suffering. You are not forgotten. You are meant to be empowered because you, as you see the invisible, you'll be able to do the impossible. There is incredible power tucked inside of your impossible pain. God, breathe on these. Fill them with your spirit. Give them the chance to see differently. You can put your hands down and I want to invite anybody who's never said yes to Jesus. In light of death, it's coming for us all to make this day, the day you trust Christ as your savior. He hung on the cross from, for you. He rose from the dead on your behalf. If you receive him into your life, he'll make you brand new. You might've gone to church all your life and this is the day where religion moves over so relationship can begin. Or maybe you've never heard a message like this. You've never heard the gospel framed so clearly. You, you always thought maybe having just clicked on for the first time that you have to do something for God to like you or accept you. But here, here, here am I telling you, he'll save you. Just say this to him. Say, dear God, I give you me. Forgive me. I trust you as savior. Come into my heart. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. God bless you. Congratulations to each of you making that decision. That's the best decision you could have ever made.